on this episode of the Jeff Does Vegas podcast. The whole point of what we do is that we are 100% wireless. Everything is fed through only the speakers around you on top. And so the point of us is to really get out there with the people and party with them and have a good time and, and bring them up on stage. You know, And if they're celebrating something, we take their picture and we put it on our social media and we put it all over the screens and we try to really make people feel like they're part of the show. In Spanish, its name means the Meadows. You might know it as the entertainment capital of the world, Lost Wages, or simply Sin City. Of course, I'm talking about fabulous Las Vegas, Nevada. On average, 42 million people visit Las Vegas every year, and I'm one of them. I love this city. The sights, the sounds, the shows, the people, the history. I want to share all of it with you. Taking you to the world-famous Vegas Strip and beyond, my name is Jeff, and this is the Jeff Does Vegas Podcast. Hey there, and welcome to episode number 67 of the Jeff Does Vegas Podcast. It's an honor to have you on board for this podcast journey to what I like to think of as the best city on the planet, fabulous Las Vegas, Nevada. Before we get into this episode of the show, I want to thank my guest from the last episode, celebrity impersonator Christina Shaw. I had a blast chatting with Christina about how she got started as a celebrity impersonator, the various celebs that she has in her repertoire, the shows that she's headlined up and down the Vegas Strip, and the process she works through to create her impressions. If you haven't had a chance to check it out yet, jump into the archives wherever you get your podcasts and search out episode number 66, my special guest, Christina Shaw, or head to the website at jeffdoesvegas.com. All right, on to the show. If you found yourself strolling through the link on a recent Vegas trip, there's a very good chance that you've seen my guest for this episode of the podcast performing. Justin Michael Rodriguez is one of the performers in the show Extreme Live, a very cool, high-energy, interactive, and fully immersive show that happens nightly in the casino at The Link. They perform covers of current and classic hit songs, and they do an amazing job of getting the crowd involved, from making their way out into the audience to actually bringing people up on stage with them. Justin and I talked about the time he spent growing up in Las Vegas, scoring a lead in the touring production of a major Broadway show, his brush with boy band fame, the shows that he's been a part of in his time in Las Vegas, and what he thinks the future holds for entertainment in Vegas. Please enjoy my conversation with Justin Michael Rodriguez. Initially, home, home was Queens, New York. So I moved here 12 going on 13 years old. Uh, and I, you know, those very formative years, you know, as a kid and stuff like that. And, uh, moved from New York City to the Wild West. <laughs> <laughs> from the city to the desert. But uh, yeah, moved here, gosh, what, 20 something, almost 30 years ago now. So, so realistically, I mean, in a way you are, you're a local. Let's, you know, I mean, yeah. you're, oh, for sure. you're a, a transplant, but you're a local. And sometimes, 
you know, being that this is my town and, you know, I forget that so many people do come here from different places to work and to thrive and to perform and so on and so forth. So it's really, really cool to be from somewhere and still have my family here and all my hometown friends and high school buddies and all that stuff. And yet still get to go to work every day and feel, you know, and work on the Vegas Strip. It's awesome. So did you start performing as a child then living in New York or, or did you not start performing until you got to Vegas? I, you know, it, it's, I performed as a kid uh, more in schools and plays and all that stuff. Um, I guess something that a lot of folks don't know is that I, I did attempt at the child acting thing a lot when I was a kid and had the headshots taken and went through agencies and whatnot. And uh, I think I even got pretty far in auditions for uh, Les Mis when I was a kid. I was up for the role of Gavroche uh, in, in Les Mis when I was eight. Um, and uh, of course, it didn't happen. Here we are. <laughs> but, but I was up for it and I tried and whatnot. And, uh, and just always, you know, always had performance in my heart. I was scared, though. I was I, I always had a very high voice. And it was just it was a lot to, to get through. But as, as time went on, yeah, I started performing more little things here and there in high school is when it all opened up. Lame is one of my favorite shows of all time. And, and when you talked about being eight or nine living in New York and trying out for, mm-hmm. for the character of Gavroche, I thought, is there a child performer in New York city that doesn't grow up and try out for Gavroche? I, <laughs> that's hilarious. I have no idea. I just remember having like the double album that my parents bought from Sam Ash along with like the, the, the book and all the, you know, and I had to learn all, you know, it was very, very funny. But uh, that's just didn't happen. <laughs> here we are, and here we are, and here still we still auditioning are. for Gavroche at thirty-eight years old. <laughs> <laughs> hey, you know what? I'm gonna get it. Damn it! One day, one day, uh-huh. it is. It is absolutely going to happen. Um, so, I mean, living in Las Vegas and and working in Las Vegas. Is there? This is always one of the questions I kind of like to ask everyone because I mean I think everybody that doesn't live in Las Vegas has kind of these preconceived notions about the city and what it's mm-hmm. like. I mean, if you could tell somebody that was planning on say moving to Las Vegas, um, what would be the one thing that you would tell them that would be kind of along the lines of, Hey, you know what? This is, this is really going to surprise you about this city. Okay. So are you talking about from just anybody's standpoint moving here? Or are you talking about from a performer's standpoint moving here? Cause there's definitely two different angles to look at that. Yeah, if you th- I think if you just moved here as a local, as, as somebody, you know, you have to understand that Vegas is not just the Strip, and it's not just casinos and all that, you know, do you work in the, yeah, I do work in the casinos, but I, I am a performer, and there's schools and libraries and everything else here in town, so it's it's pretty much a normal town off the Strip, if you ask me. I think it's actually a pretty chill, cool place to live, you know, I'm a gay guy with a kid, I feel very accepted by my community. I feel loved by the people around me, I feel safe, you know, for the most part and everything, and I feel like it's a pretty pretty dope town i really do dig it i think we're at the forefront of technology with msg sphere coming and the new stadium they're really pouring a lot of awesome stuff into vegas so if you ask me it's definitely the place to be and as far as from a performer standpoint if somebody's coming to las vegas as a performer i mean i know in friends that i've talked to and other people that i've talked to they've said the biggest thing that really surprised them was how tight-knit the community was well, I mean, think about even like when Gaga comes here and she does her shows, she's over with Brian Newman over at MGM singing with local talent, just like vibing with people and hanging out. You know, it's, it's, it is super tight knit, you know, everybody from all the different shows come together for things like Monday's dark and, uh, you know, different events and whatnot. It doesn't matter if you're on a Cirque show. It doesn't matter if you're a top headliner, 
you know, it's just, it's awesome that the community really does come together. Um, but you still have to hustle. You know, that, that's one thing that I would say for performers coming into town is you have to hustle and you have to come and show up and sing for free and, you know, do all the cabarets and the Mondays darks and all these things that sort of get yourself in the door because, you know, just like any other town, New York, maybe even LA, you, you know, it is a tight knit community and everyone belongs, but you know, if you want to keep on performing and keep on working and ask back and everything, you got to hustle, got to be good at your craft and you got to take care of yourself. Have you found, and this is something that I've, I've talked about with other performers as well, is that the community, it's a little more familial. People are a little, treat each other a little more like family as opposed to say LA or New York, where, you know, somebody will stab someone in the back over, over the smallest thing. Well, you know, there is a lax about living in Las Vegas that we are afforded that is not in there's there's less stresses, I think, as a budding performer here in Las Vegas versus other cities. You don't have to necessarily stab people in the back to get somewhere because there are ample opportunities. For instance, Kenny Davidson will let anybody get on his stage at the Bowtie Cabaret on a Friday night at the Tuscany and sing a song. And you could be in front of anybody at any given time and not even know it and then get get a phone call the next day. There's also a lax when it comes to how we live here. Vegas is one of those towns, unlike New York or LA, where it is actually affordable, where you can have a place of your own with a washer and dryer inside of it, where you can go home at the end of the night and go into your bed and relax and get a good night's sleep and not be bunched up with seven roommates up in Harlem paying $1,500 a month and having all this extra stress. And I think that that adds a lot of strange dynamic to who people are as artists in those situations you know they 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 are not getting the rest that they need they are stressed about money they're stressed about gigs i mean i you know people will always complain about pay and whatever in any time that they're in but usually financial stresses will lead to so many other things and i think that we have a luxury living here in las vegas where we can get off the strip go to your condo go to your apartment with your covered parking and all your little amenities that you don't get in places like new york or la and recoup and recover for the next day and go back out and try again and you know what that makes perfect sense and i mean i i i kind of laugh i had a buddy that worked in radio as a as a producer uh, in Toronto, he started in Calgary where I am and moved to Toronto. And then he landed a gig, uh, working as a audio engineer producer for the Howard Stern show in New York. And he ended up in this little tiny apartment near times square around the corner from Rockefeller center. And when he moved there, he laughed and said, I used to complain all the time about what it cost me to live in Toronto. He goes, I will never complain about that again. <laughs> no, no. And you know, it's, it's, you no matter again, no matter where you go, you have to hustle. You have to have a job. You know, I when I was first really trying, I, I after New York, I moved back here to Vegas, and it, it, I lived in New York for a long time. After tour, I toured with friends and all that stuff. Oh gosh, I'm jumping ahead so fast. But coming back here to Vegas, you know, older and everything, I bartended. I worked at Don't Tell Mama. I did whatever I could do to make that money and sing. Mm-hmm. <laughs> you know, and it's a it, it could it's. It's a hustle as artist life. That's for sure. That's the thing that's always impressed me about all of you guys is the, the hustle that all of you have and that, that work ethic and that you guys are constantly working and, and, and constantly hustling to, to be performing and getting in front of people. It's just such a difference. I think having the artist mentality and the performers mentality versus non, I guess it's the only way I can put it, just not having that mentality because when you wake up in the morning and you just want to sing, you know that that's who you are fundamentally on the inside. And so like, you know, I, I mean, maybe some people wake up in the morning and dream of 
accounting or dream of <laughs> you know, teaching or a dream of whatever the, whatever they've chosen in their professions and their careers. They get to get up in the morning and go to work and do that and everything. And us as artists, you know, it's, it's, it, those jobs are a little bit harder to get and there's not as many of them. And so you have really have to keep that dream alive and keep on hustling and pushing forward. And, you know, I get up in the morning and I start singing. It's just what I do. So I know that that's what I meant to do. It's not always pretty in the morning, but <laughs> to me it is. So after you uh, you moved to Vegas, you grew up in Vegas, you went yeah. back to New York and spent some time there performing? Uh, so right after high school is when that O-Town thing happened, and that was fun. We are going to talk about O-Town. <laughs> <laughs> it wasn't even like a thing. Like I don't want people to think like, oh, he was like, hanging out with Lou Pearlman and everything. So they had auditions in like, I think five major American cities. I think it was like New York, Orlando, LA, Vegas, maybe Chicago or Texas or something like that. But it wasn't huge or anything like that. And what they ended up doing was really narrowing each city down to about seven guys or so, t 10, seven guys or whatever the case was. And so in Vegas, it was an all day thing. And I sang LFO and I sang all these different boy band songs for them. And over and over and over and over until we got down to about seven of us sitting in a tent outside the pool of hard rock and Lou Pearlman came in and everything. And he said that they were choosing two kids, one of which made it into the band, Ashley Angel. And he thanked the rest of us and we all shook hands and took a picture and sent us on our way. And then I received that letter probably about uh, maybe six, eight months later or something like that saying, thanks, but no thanks. <laughs> But it was cool. It was, you know, come on, man. Graduating high school in 1999, like all these boy bands, that was, that was the dream. Yeah. That was the boy band dream. So after that didn't happen, um, I got in touch with some other kids in town that were looking to start a boy band as well and knew some guy on the East Coast that wanted to form us into a boy band and take us out there and record us. And so we all practiced a whole bunch and took a flight and lived in a basement apartment together in Boston and attempted to be a boy band for probably a good year or so and recorded songs and danced and made routines and did all that stuff and uh and that sort of fell apart as well because a lot of the boys just kind of were in it for the girls you know and they sure. all that kind of fun stuff but it just kind of didn't really work out so well and then i ended up back in new york after that and that's when rent comes into my life well in that i was working in in top 40 radio right around 1998 99 2000 so i know I mean, and I was working as a music director in a music department as well. So we would get that, that stack of CDs like that from the record label. And it was, there was 15 different boy bands du jour. And, and of course being Canadian as well, we had requirements on how much Canadian music we had to play on the radio station. So there was like three or four Canadian boy bands thrown in there as well. Do I even know any Canadian boy bands? Oh, probably not. <laughs> <laughs> So after your Boston attempted at becoming a boy band, that was when you said rent came into your life. Did you go to New York and do rent? So I went to New York uh, after the whole Boston thing, and I continued to pursue music down there. I worked in a music studio for a while, answering phones, uh, singing light backups on random things they pulled me into the studio for. I, even, I honestly can't even tell you how that connection happened and how I ended up working in that music studio, but I ended up working in some music studio uh, down in the village in New York. Um, while still trying to record music of my own and, 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 and make a solo career happen, that was always the goal for me. It wasn't theater. It was never theater. It was always pop music. It was always band work. It was always that, that uh, you know, MTV VMA dream. That was always my 
for you. And it's so funny that life kept pushing me back into musical theater and all that stuff. And so, yeah, um, I was living, crashing on my aunt's couch in Queens and she brought home Backstage Magazine, which was still a paper. <laughs> I don't know if it is nowadays. I know it's online, but it was a paper uh, at the time and it listed all the auditions. And in there was the open call for the national tour of Rent. And um, I knew Seasons of Love because I think I heard it in like choir or something like that, but I didn't know the show. I didn't know anything about it. And I had friends who were rent heads that knew a lot about the show. Uh, but it described a, you know, a tenor, uh, Hispanic, possibly Asian, uh, you know, ethnicity. Um, and I just thought to myself, well, I never auditioned in anything in New York before. So let me see what this is like. I didn't know what to expect. I wore boots and jeans and a rag on my head. And I walked into, I think it was Ripley Greer Studios or something like that with a headshot that I had taken myself. Like it was a mess. Like I don't think, I don't think my resume was like a separate piece of paper. I had Doc Martens on. It was terrible. Um, uh, and I sang at last as my audition song, which I still sing everywhere today. And for some oddball reason, Michael Greif, the director just kept asking me to come on back come on back and then two weeks later i got a call to come on back for a dance call which was just as tragic and um <laughs> <laughs> i really think that i got by just on like snarky side self-depreciating comments throughout the audition process that kept people laughing and they were like well he's got improv skills so maybe that'll work and uh and i just kept getting pulled in and pulled in and pulled in and about two weeks after the third audition or something like that i had went up to Providence to hang out with some friends and kind of just take a little weekend away. And I got a phone call from one of their casting people offering me the role of Angel in, in the national tour of Rent. And I was beside myself. I didn't know Angel was a drag queen. I didn't know <laughs> any of this stuff. I just was like, yeah, I'll go and audition for something. And I ended up touring with Rent for two years after that. And um, I never went to college. So that was my that was my learning. You know, I was cast at 19 and I signed my, you know, my, my paperwork on my uh, 20th birthday, August 28th was the first uh, rehearsal at, at the new 42nd street studios. And I remember signing all the stuff and being like, Oh my gosh, it's my birthday. I even completely forgot. Cause I was just so excited that I was doing something different and cool. And uh, it changed my life, man. That show changed my whole view on what it is that I wanted to do and whether I wanted to be and all that stuff. Touring, and I would imagine, I mean, touring across the country, I mean, did you, I, I've talked to people and I've interviewed people that have been involved in these touring productions before, and I know there's not a ton of spare time a lot of times when you're when you're on these tours. I mean, you guys are, yeah. you're in a city for two, three days and then travel and on to another or city. Or there's those weeks where they were just one, 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 straight through. You get up, you know, you do your show, go back to the hotel, you crash, you're on the bus at 5.45 in the morning and you're off to the next city. Um, and that was challenging for a 20-year-old to have to do by himself. Like I, we actually just recently had a, a rent Zoom family reunion and somebody had brought up, she goes, Justin, you remember how young you were back then? And you used to talk about how young you were back then because like, oh my gosh, like I'm around all these professional actors doing this amazing show and here I am, this kid, and having to like learn how to be, like learn how to <laughs> be a professional <laughs> really quick, yeah. really, really quick. And set the alarm and be on that bus and sleeping on egg crates on the floor of the bus between cities. It was, it was definitely a hustle for sure, but the reward was performing in probably the most point, one of the most poignant, shows ever 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 written uh -huh. 
people may not like it for one reason or the other, the music or the content or whatever. But I mean, that rent to me speaks to so many minority people, really. Uh It really, really does. And uh, the people that I met along the way and the lessons that I learned and the stories that I heard, I came back from that tour a completely different person. I think that tour grew me up more than four years of college could have at anywhere. And yeah, I mean, I would imagine a show like that, 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 as you say, speaks to so many different people in so many different ways. You guys in the various shows that I've gone to, a lot of times the cast will come and meet people afterwards or people will go to the stage door and meet people. I mean, you must've met some incredible people and, and got some amazing stories from people. You know, people who we, I had a strange privilege of being able to portray a HIV positive character on stage yet be an hiv negative man and i'm out there on the stage in a a death scene on a hospital bed and i'm looking at at the audience at at people who might be dealing with that in the future who have witnessed that in the past with their friends and their loved ones uh who are currently dealing with i don't know It, it was just there was a lot to uh to to learn and to to take from that show and to realize just how lucky of a person I am, you know, and I was in that time to be on the stage performing it and not really living it, you know? So it was very humbling for sure. Is it, uh, is it difficult to be, cause I mean, I've been, again, I've gone to emotional shows where I'm not going to lie. I've, I saw dear Evan Hansen. I cried. I saw come from away. I cried as a performer on the other side of it. When you're on stage and you're looking out, is that, distracting is it i mean is it emotionally draining is it hard to see that every night i mean um it's funny playing the character of angel because you get to die and you don't have to deal with your own death so i got (laughs) to go backstage yeah and then the next you know 45 minutes of the show where all the characters are colliding and crashing and the audience is feeling all the emotion in in these characters reeling of their friend's death and dealing with everything else they really got to experience that 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 rage every night as actors and, and really share that with the audience. And I'm in the back touching up my makeup and fixing my hair to come out of the end and take a bow. <laughs> you're, you're hanging out backstage watching episodes of The Office on DVD. And, yeah, uh... listening to Pink's second album, you know? Come on. Like, but, but in the moment of that scene right before the number contact, when right before Angel does that number and then walks into the light and everything. I do very vividly remember uh, connecting with that audience and seeing their faces and them. I mean, it's theater and it becomes real and those emotions come out of people because they've experienced it or they're just, maybe it's the first time, maybe it's somebody's first time ever, ever uh, hearing a story or seeing something about people with AIDS or HIV and these struggles and still being, washed over with emotion dealing with things that they've never thought about before just Mm -hmm. being inundated with all these things and so uh, we we toured in places like manhattan kansas you know and south dakota you know like we're just these subject matters aren't ever talked about and to be put right into your faces it's a lot yeah no kidding so after two years of rent was it back to vegas once that was done back to new york back to back to new york Back to New York. I got Angel on my resume. Check. I'm going to get every role in New York. Hey, check. Crickets. Let's <laughs> talk about that. Crickets, honey. All the way. Yeah. Like, and it was, you know, because at the end of the day, yeah, your resume shows you're a professional actor, but 
you, they, you still need to be right for whatever part they're casting for. And like, I got real lucky as a short little high pitched singing brown boy to get into like a major role in a, in a national tour. But like, let's really talk about how many roles there are for my type. So going back to New York and hitting the ground running and thinking you're hot shit. And then, you know, you, you audition and it's no thanks. And you audition, it's no thanks. You go for a cruise ship audition and it's no thanks. And I was like, okay. So it got a little more real. And in those, those years after tour, I, I, you know, I did some things and, and whatnot, but nothing really like rent again. I ended up sort of just working a lot, like normal jobs and whatnot. And it got to the point in about four years into it, three years into it, 2007 or so, um, where I just found myself, I was working in a hospital as uh, an administrator for what the ER doing like uh, check-ins and registration and, and all that kind of stuff. And it was good money. And I thought to myself, well, I'll make some money and I'll hustle while still auditioning, but the job ended up taking over and I ended up working more than I was auditioning or doing anything else. And I thought to myself, why am I paying this rent? Why am I here? I miss mom and dad. I miss my friends. Let's, let's, let's head back. And so 2007 went back to Vegas and, uh, and I just started doing a lot of community theater out here, LVLT, I did Peter Pan with Huntsman Entertainment, with a signature entertainment at the time, a bunch of different shows. That's how I met our wonderful friend, Lisa Marie Smith, doing Jesus Christ Superstar in 2007 at Super Summer Theater. She was a high school graduate at the time. And, um, and yeah, I just started doing a lot of community theater and, and building myself back up into really performing full time. And then the cruise ships happened. <laughs> <laughs> it's like just one segue into the other. I mean, I worked at Buffalo Wild Wings. Do you want to talk about that? <laughs> oh, actually, you know, it's funny. I did, though, in 2009, right before the cruise ships happened, I was one of the first people to work over Don't Tell Mama when Don't Tell Mama was just like a cricket little piano bar that nobody went to because there was nothing down there at the time. Yeah. Yeah. Wow. Me and Savannah Smith worked there. Yeah. <laughs> We'd sing songs together in, like, the dark. It was, it was fun. So then the cruise ship life, I mean, you did do the cruise ship thing for a while. Five years after the cruise ship thing. Five years on cruise ships. Yeah, that's not a while. That's a long ass time. That's, um, <laughs> that's a, let's break it down. That's a half a decade. That is a long that's time. Like, that's like half as long as I've been alive. Um, <laughs> no, cruise ships were dope. That was like, I don't care what anybody says. I had the time of my life. I've seen the world. That was so much fun. Yeah. the best time ever absolutely going all these different places and just different cultures and eating all the food yeah. i gained more weight they were they were they were like does your costume still fit you sure you good okay <laughs> chubby lead singer all the food. we had a great time and then after cruise ships back to vegas or somewhere in between uh well i did so Three years with uh, Holland, two years as a guest end with Norwegian with an awesome show called All What a Night. It was a Frankie Valley and the Four Seasons tribute show. A lot of dudes in town have done that show. They're based here in town. These two guys, Michael and Paul, uh, Shackless Entertainment, and they were awesome. We had the best time. And that was cool because you were like a guest on the ship. So I spent like the last year and a half of that show in Hawaii on a cruise ship, just like bopping around and getting tanned. So that was the time of my life. But yeah, after, after five years of doing cruise ships and many contracts, I wanted to try to come back home and, and, and really get a gig on the strip. That was like mm -hmm. the goal. And, and you did, you managed to land a, a few different types of gigs. On yeah. The strip. Yeah. I met some really cool, you know, I, again, I, it's really, it really is really about who, you know, you do have to hustle, but a lot of it does come down to who, you know, and a lot of the kids that I knew before I left for cruise ships that were hustling and trying to make it for themselves were now 
in a, 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 you know, a made it sort of place and everything. Again, I refer back to Lisa um, because she's, oh, she, first of all, I just have to say for the record publicly that she has been such a driving force in my success here in Las Vegas as one of my best friends, whatever she, she really helped put me into you know, the sight lines of the right people and say, Hey, I know this person's looking for somebody right now, show up here or go over here and talk to this person and whatnot. And so she's been really, really helpful and instrumental. And, and that was really beneficial in coming back after doing cruise ships and seeing a lot of my friends now in these great places here in Vegas that, you know, sort of help along the way and whatnot. Um, but yeah, once I got back, I auditioned for random things. I ended up in Island Heat over at the Treasure Island. Um, I ended up in Spoofical the Musical over at David Sachs Theater over there. That was fun for about six months or so. So it's Spoofical the Musical. Do you want to talk about that? I do want to talk about because Spoofical. Do you want to talk about how everybody in the world was in that show, but nobody really wants to talk about it? (laughs) (laughs) Everybody is in that show. Spoofical actually came up a couple of times this week with in different things that I was looking at and looking up. And, And so is it, is it what I'm thinking it is? Is it a musical, like a spoof of musicals all in all kind of deal? It spoof, yeah, it, man, I don't even know. Like it was so many different things. Like it was, yeah, it was like current subjects with like funny songs written to them. I don't know. It, 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 funny, I mean, I saw Anne Martinez wearing a penis costume. So that, that was enough for me right there to, <laughs> to treasure that memory forever. I'll put that on the note of things to talk about when I get to talk about Anne Martinez, when I chat with <laughs> her. Martinez about the penis costume and spoofical and musical and how there was an outlet on the top of it for you to spray out <laughs> the silly string to make it look like, you know what? Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's definitely coming up if I get a chance to talk to Anne. <laughs> it was a lot, you know, it was a lot of fun though. It was fun to be silly up there. I mean, so many awesome people I share that stage with in that show: Janine Valentine, Ryan Flanagan, Chelsea Phillips Reed, Anne Martinez. Uh, the list goes on. There were just so many awesome people that got to do this silly, silly show. Um, you know, and that's what Vegas is all about. And that's what these that's what entertainment really is. Is you know you try and you fail and you try again and you fail and you know, and I mean, they've obviously found success with zombie in that theater. Mm-hmm. And I think that that's, that's their prize and that's wonderful in there and everything. And not everything is always meant to be. Um, and so from spoofable, I, I laid down the penis costume and moved on to other things. <laughs> Actually, I got to wear a Charo costume in that, in that show a, a dress with big boobies. It was ridiculous. That's it was so ridiculous. I really kind of wish they'd bring that show back now that I'm hearing about. Oh, giant do you? Penis Would you like to audition? And, and sure. Why not? Yeah. Why not? <laughs> you might, you probably get in. <laughs> Everyone did it. Why not you? Yeah. Spoofical happened. Let's see. Island heat happened. Um, oh, Tony and Tina's wedding. I did for on and off 10 years, you know, 2009 through 2000. Oh gosh. Eight, 19 when it just closed officially over at uh Bally's again. Um, but I always wanted to do, to be a singer in a band and do that. So I always put it out there into the universe that one day I'll just get one of those kind of gigs, one of those like constant lounge gigs or casino gigs or band gigs or something like that. And, and I just kept on putting it out there and I slowly started to cover for people. Uh, I started doing backup work at Monday's dark a lot. Um, I, I was called to be Mark's cover over in a band called empire records, that awesome nineties band. Um, started covering for other bands and kind of really getting my feel on the stage more and whatnot. And um, 
while I was doing Tony and Tita's Wedding, a good friend of mine named Paige Strafella had said that she was looking for a co-singer to sing with her in a band that she works with called Jump Interactive. And she brought me in there and I started singing with John and Paige and that whole band, which after three years of performing with them, going out of town and different little gigs here and there, Arizona Charlie's, yada, 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 blah, 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 blah. We finally ended up over at the link and it's formed now into extreme live where the show is now so it's 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 been a lot of work but this is the dream personally if you ask me is 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 being in a band and singing and just jamming and having a good time that's what i love doing the most and it's such a cool gig too like it looks i mean i've seen you guys a, a million times when i've been in the link and and wandering through walking past and it looks like it's such a fun gig it's a lot of fun it's a lot of fun because well <laughs> there's no there's a social distance thing going on now so i think it's going to pose a little bit of a challenge if we do come back because the whole point of what we do is that we are 100 percent wireless everything is fed through only the speakers around you on top and so the point of us is to really get out there with the people and party with them and have a good time and, and bring them up on stage you know and if they're celebrating something we take their picture and we put it on our social media and we put it all over the screens and we try to really make people feel like they're part of the show that they are being celebrated that they are being included that why they're in las vegas and why they've come to the link that night matters and it's not just about us getting our rocks off by singing our tits off and having a good time it's about making them feel like they're there for a reason and that we're there to help celebrate you and that that's that's the whole point of extreme life it's, a, it's just totally immersive fun and the technology behind what john tor has created with extreme live is dope because everything you're hearing is live um but it's there's no immediate sound on stage they wanted it quiet in the link so we have electronic drums our bassist and our guitarist are all packed lot packed wirelessly going through there and everything is in ears so they formulated a way for us not to immediately disturb the pits around us and the people by by blasting drums right into their ears, yet still giving them full on live music. And it's just a very, 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 very cool concept. It's really cool to watch. And it's it's a lot of fun. And you guys have always got the, the music video going in the background of whatever song you guys happen to be performing. And yep. and as you say, I mean, it's being pumped all throughout the casino and all in around the lounge. And it's just yeah. it's it's such a. It really is a very cool concept. And it, and as you say, it's kind of different from what everyone else is doing. Well, you, you know, and and <laughs> when the show debuted and everything, we I, I kind of overheard, quote unquote, things on social media, uh, uh, you know, little jabs, so to speak, without saying names about, you know, like tracks used these days, lip syncing, fake guitarists. And, and I, you know, you can kind of put two and two together. You've seen who's out there and watching you. And then you see things on social media and you kind of, get an idea that people, when they don't know something, it, you know, what, what fear creates ignorance, you know, so to speak. So when you don't know how things are created or how things work, um, often it's mislabeled as not real or they're lip syncing or they're faking it. That's not a real guitarist. They're not really doing that up there and whatnot. And so, you know, it took a little bit of, I had to brush some stuff off my shoulders a little bit and kind of bite my tongue and not really say things and everything. But I know that what we're doing up there is genuine and live and that stuff it's no joke we, we we work our butts off up there and we have a really really good time doing it and it's worth it because the product is just so awesome like mm -hmm. it's so dope it really is very very cool and i have uh jen delatore who i sing with in this show 
uh, her and I met years ago doing Peter Pan together for Signature Productions at uh, Summerlin Library in 2007. She was my Tiger Lily, and um, and we've been friends forever. And when this opportunity came up, we pulled her in. We said, "I want to see you kick in the air and jump around." And she's just wonderful. She's wonderful, wonderful. As I say, it's a lot of fun to watch. And as a person that, when you go to the lounge, the different lounges in Vegas, and the bands are playing, and maybe this is just me turning into an old man. I mean, I have legitimately told people to get off my lawn. Um, (laughs) I don't want it blasting in my face. And, and I, I, I really kind of appreciate this kind of a concept. I think this is fantastic. It's, it's super cool. You know, I mean, there's, there's a place for everything. You know, when you go to Fremont street, like, hell yeah, you want to rock those all real, you have all the space in the world to make all the sound you want. And even in other venues in Las Vegas as well, where it's behind or removed, like Indigo, for instance, you know, in valleys where the, the, the bar is down and, and out a little bit and whatnot, even Paris and stuff like that. It's a big open space with the dance floor. The it's a little bit different in the length because they have gambling pits literally right on either side of this stage. And it's more of a walkway. So you're going in between, you know, you have Margaritaville, on one entrance over here you have carnival court on the other side so you know they're just kind of moseying through in between and our point is to really kind of capture them and bring them in and um it's cool that we're capturing them and bringing them in more with the essence of technology and visual and costume and all that kind of stuff opposed to just like blaring loud music you know and it's not pissing off the dealers no one's really getting too bothered about it you know you deal with the occasional you guys aren't really playing live. You're not really doing it. Or they'll reach out and touch one of the guitarist strings while they're playing. <laughs> mm-hmm. Like wow. they'll do weird things. They'll like, look, they'll like staring down at Skip's guitar, like his pedal on the floor and like looking behind the drums, like as we're playing, trying to figure out like what's going on. <laughs> but it's, <laughs> it's really cool. Like it's pretty dope stuff. You know, I, I, I'm very, very proud to be part of that because you know, like, there's so many things that you see going on in Vegas all the time. Remember when Baz came out, I was like, I want to do that. Or like all these other shows, I want to do that. Now I feel like I'm part of a show where I'm like, I'm doing this. And this mm-hmm. is dope. I, I, I want to talk a little bit about because you've been in Vegas for so long and been performing for so long. Some of the changes that you've seen, the biggest changes that you've seen in, in say the entertainment world in las vegas i mean there was a time when there were all these big musicals opening and broadway shows coming to las vegas i mean mamma mia spam a lot rock of ages um because people don't need to spend millions of dollars on tickets to be entertained they come to vegas because they want a bud light or a three-foot drink in a plastic cup and to get wasted and fall asleep by 12 30 in the morning like people don't need to spend six hundred dollars on a Cirque ticket or this much money on mamma mia or lion king or anything like that i think that people are looking for fun accessible entertainment that's easy for them to stumble upon and leave whenever they want without making a, a, a general plan that's what we get a lot people come and they end up staying for all four of our sets because it's fun it's easy it's free there's a bar right behind us they can walk back to their hotel at any time they're not trapped in you know what i'm saying so i think that like people want more easily accessible entertainment. And I think that these companies and hotels and everything are realizing that they don't have to put shows in like Phantom of the Opera with a $50 million moving chandelier in order to like draw people in and make money. They can have a band playing in there and like have drink specials and probably make just as much. You're right. Like, I mean, I, when one of the first trips my wife and I made to Vegas, we went and saw Phantom of the Opera because mm-hmm. oh, it was so cool. <laughs> it was so cool. And I mean, I saw Rock of Ages, I think seven or eight times and got to know the the cast and got to know people in the show and stuff. So 
but those shows definitely i mean there's none of that now other other than cirque shows there's no real big production shows i mean there's the spiegel world shows but otherwise well the big thing now is the residencies that's yeah. what people are coming to see now is the residencies because that that's kind of like the new thing i think i mean when you you're we're not talking about like artists that had like a hit seven years ago we're talking about like people who are pumping out fresh hot tunes right now that are coming and sitting down in vegas for a week you know gaga and bruno mars and uh the queen celine i mean i'm, I'm not going to be surprised if she comes back yet again yeah that's what people they want to come and see their favorite artists you know a lot of people don't have a favorite musical or like oh i want i can't wait to go to vegas to go see baz like i mean they like it it sounds cool and everything but most people didn't really know what it was or people you know but people know who shania twain is people know who mariah carey is i think that's the new forefront is live music more like that like with msg coming out and even all the dope shows that i'm sure that are going to go down over at allegiance like that's what it's all about now is is being accessible to these artists that they love so much and that kind of leads into my next question nicely um do you think that with las vegas getting so many of these large performance venues whether it's uh mgm grand garden or the event center at mandalay bay or t-mobile or uh the msg sphere or now allegiant stadium do you think that there there's ever going to be a situation and this might be a silly question being that it's las vegas but do you think that there's ever going to be a situation where there are too many of the venues of this size nope absolutely not i think las vegas is is going to like i think literally once the doors are open it's going to be like floodgates this city i think that people are going to come and spend money for those things i personally know people who have spent money on 30 years worth of raiders tickets already for the legion like season tickets for the next 30 years i'm not even kidding you like people will come to the city and they will flood in las vegas for everything that it has to offer i don't think that there's going to be any issues selling any tickets to anything in this town maybe certain shows that like you know wouldn't have stood i don't, I don't know how long like the the, the fun costumey production shows would necessarily last because i do think the next the big the next frontier is is live music performance and concerts and all that stuff so i don't think those going to have a hard time selling whatsoever. Uh, it's good to hear you say that because the last thing you want is any of that stuff sitting empty. As long as they keep ticket prices still within reach, because sometimes I think it's offensive when you see, you know, $1,300 tickets for Bruno Mars and stuff like that. It's like, stop, stop, stop. Like make the people that are listening to him are not, I mean, yes, rich people too, but like we don't make that much money. So at least if they can sort of keep them within a reasonable space, then yeah. they'll sell. Yeah. I did want to talk just a, a little bit about, um, pandemic and, and COVID-19 and, and all that kind of stuff with the, uh, the lockdown and the time off. Um, did you do anything online as, as a lot of other performers were doing, or did you just kind of take the time to, to kind of, reset recharge and spend time with with your family and your daughter and and just sort of press the uh press the pause button on life in extreme live i sing easily four to five bruno mars songs per night not to mention other high songs four nights a week four sets per night so when pandemic started and it shut down of course you know it, it was unnerving about rent and bills and all that fun stuff but giving this baby boy voice a rest, 
was the best thing that could have possibly happened. Um, and so I took the time just to kind of remain a little more on the quiet side and hang out with my daughter Atlas who just turned two. Um, and that helps break the monotony of, you know, her mom and I live in two different places. So we, we share custody and she comes back and forth and driving her there and coming here and going out and taking walks and doing whatnot. You know, she's in a very formative place right now. She's learning how to speak. And so to be fully present right now in this time has actually been a blessing. It really, really has. I have to also give a public shout out and thank you to the Actors Fund who granted me a little bit something to help me float along. And uh, yeah, as soon as this unemployment hits, just like everyone else in this town, I think we'll all be even happier. So, but you know, that's really what this comes down to is it's perspective. Yeah. You know, I'm, I know that once this picks back up again, that I'm in a place where, um, and you know, I mean, already with the drive and drag show, I'm, I'm, I'm getting back on stage again. So I, I feel like I'm in a good place to once work opens up again, hopefully I'll be getting some phone calls and get right back to it. Excellent. Um, now I did want to talk about, uh, drive and drag show, which is a project that kind of, uh, came out of the pandemic and the lockdown that you, you got to be a part of, uh, the first big production show to open up post lockdown. Yeah. It's the first major production in Las Vegas since court, since this whole pandemic thing. And, you know, like you said, people are going online and creating things and people are doing awesome shows like in driveways and everything. I think it's so dope the way that people are reaching out to audiences and keeping music alive and whatnot. But this, oh my goodness, to finally be backstage again and like filling up my work bag and you know, like it, it's it's nice to be able to go back to that feeling of rehearsing and, and learning lines and remembering songs and blocking and all that stuff. It's just fabulous. And um, of course, this is Golden Rainbow. This is the Actors Fund. And it's hosted by the fabulous Edie from Zumanity. And my goodness, just to work with people like Edie and uh, just all the talent in our show, it's a blast we are having such a great time and you drive it in your car you even get out of your car i mean come on how easy is that that's so cool i love it it really is very very cool i'm hoping we get to do this again and i'm hoping that we get to uh perform in this caliber we did a show called fabulous last year and we've taken some content from that show and placed it into the show as well and um it's it's just you know it's heels and your feet hurt at the end of the day but to transform and be a fun character and and sing wonderful songs and know that you're doing it all for a good cause is brilliant. And it seems that from what I'm seeing in the world of entertainment and the direction that things are going, this, this drive in concept is really starting to take off. I I mean, I saw a, a comedy club um, in a city North of us here in Edmonton that actually did a, a a drive-in comedy club in the parking lot where they had the comedian uh, performing and, and all of his stuff was being transmitted on a, on an FM frequency to the cars. And instead of clapping or laughing, people were, were honking their horns. (laughs) Yes. We created a whole dance for the windshield wipers and the blinkers and the horns and all that kind of stuff. And you would think that, well, I'll say this. When we did our dress run on Friday night, we had limited cars there and we kind of did a little stop and go stuff and whatnot. And I was concerned because you're not feeling that audience necessarily back with you. Let me tell you, that changed for the real show because these audiences showed up with 25, 30 cars parked in front of us with four people in each car screaming, honks, horns honking. People were showing up with convertibles, yelling. I mean, like the energy is real and it's so awesome looking because you have this this lot filled up with all these bright lights on and a big stage with lights and it really it feels like you're 
jamming in a music video. I mean, it really, really is a lot of fun. We're having a great time doing it. And the songs are awesome. It's just a really good time. That's awesome. I'm I'm so happy that you're able to to get back out and start performing again. And- it's surreal. It's really cool. I feel very, very honored to be performing in, in the midst of stuff like this, you know? So it's it's I feel very, very lucky, very humbled for sure. Fantastic. I love it. Um, Justin, uh, thank you so much for taking the time to uh, to jump on and uh, and chat with me today. I really do appreciate it. Oh my gosh, thank you. I love being able to to get you guys on and and share your stories and and show people that the people that live in Las Vegas, you guys are 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 real real people. Yeah, you know, that's that's the again like I, you know, just really quick to recap and go back. That's what's so magical about this city is that you can come here, you can pursue what you want, you can make something of yourself, you can get on stage and be in sequins and glitter and spotlights and all that wonderful fun stuff and then get to go home at the end of the day and be a normal human and hang out with your kid and uh it's just a vegas is a beautiful beautiful place to find that balance i think so yeah thanks for showcasing it yeah if you want to keep up with what justin is up to follow him on facebook and instagram at justin m rodriguez and be sure to check out the extreme live show on facebook twitter and instagram as well i'll have links to all of those social media channels in the show notes at jeffdoesvegas.com And that wraps up another episode of the podcast. If you've got feedback on this episode of the show or any other episode for that matter, or you've got suggestions and ideas for topics you'd like me to cover on the podcast, please feel free to reach out to me via Facebook, Twitter, or Instagram at Jeff Does Vegas, or drop me an email directly at Jeff at Jeff In the meantime, thank you so much for checking out the show. Be sure to subscribe for free wherever you get your podcasts so you'll know the moment new episodes are available. And don't forget to visit jeffdoesvegas.com for past episodes, show notes, and a link to the official Jeff Does Vegas YouTube channel. My name is Jeff, and this has been episode number 67 of the Jeff Does Vegas podcast.